Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the CPA Advisory Show. My name is Chris Herbishon, and along with my co-host, as always, Jeremy Wells. Jeremy, how's it going? Doing all right. Glad to be out of tax season. How about yourself, Chris? Yeah, man, pretty much the same. Basically, just brain mush today. But other than that, doing fantastic. It feels like a new day. Uh, but anyway, nobody cares about that. Uh, with us today, we have a very special guest, Donnie Shimueto. And Donnie, welcome to the show. Donnie is the founder and managing director of Enterprise Technologies, LLC, an advisory-focused CPA firm providing innovation, acceleration, and business transformation services for small businesses, middle market organizations, and nonprofits. Donnie is a recognized thought leader and educator in the accounting technology, IT risk management, and performance management areas. Donnie, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Uh, glad to hear. I've been listening to you guys a bunch and love what you guys are doing. So uh, honored to be on the show. Awesome. So Jeremy, Donnie's the one person who listens to our show. <laughs> We've identified We've identified the, the source. So Donnie, tell us about, about yourself and what you do and what you're working on. Sure. Thanks. Uh, so I, I always like to describe myself as a non-traditional CPA because I am a CPA. I'm also a CITP and CGMA, but I don't do any traditional accounting work. And as your introduction mentioned, uh, all of my work is in business transformation. And one of the big things that we're actually trying to do now is to actually transform the profession. And so um, through that, actually, I realized I didn't include it in the bio I sent you guys. Uh, I actually started the Center for Accounting Transformation about a year and a half ago. And what we're doing is focusing on the accounting industry itself. Well, actually, the profession at large, because we also look at controllers and CFOs. Uh, which will actually tie, tie next nicely into the CAS side of what you guys talk about and really look at going beyond just audit tax and traditional finance. So how do we actually expand what we do? And that's what uh, being an advisory focused CPA firm, that's what we do. Um, we're small. We're about 16 people um, spread throughout the U.S. We're completely virtual and we help organizations and accounting firms go through their transformations. That's awesome. So like, tell us a little bit more about the Center for Accounting Transformation. Like, what is that exactly? Like, how does it do what it does? And, you know, what's that look like? What does that look like in general? Sure, we've, we've gone through some interesting, I think, changes. We started off kind of thinking, well, we're just gonna help do some more CPE. Uh, so we started it during the pandemic. It's actually right now a division of my firm, but we're probably eventually going to split it off. Uh, but we're doing education. So a lot of, uh, you know, like, you you know, I speak at a lot of conferences and things. So we were taking a lot of that, getting it out there as webinars. Um, but over the course of the last kind of year and a half, what we found is really needed by the profession is better research or to say it differently better data to actually help make decisions off of and so we've pivoted quite a bit to really look at well what are some of the key issues going on in the profession what data do we have and more importantly what data don't we have about what's going on and how can we get that data and thus uh, was born our research services or we also like to call it insight services because we're doing research to grab the data and then we're figuring out, okay, what's the insights? How do we help drive better decision-making in whatever it is we're researching uh, for the profession as a whole? And part of the reason we're the center is we also serve as kind of a center point. So for example, one of our research projects has been our DE&I, our diversity, equity, and inclusion research. And we partnered with that uh, 15 different state societies and three CPA firm associations to help get 
um, some of the research done. That's amazing. So help us unpack that a little bit. What's the, what are the data points that we have that are meaningful in the profession? What, what are the blind spots? What are we missing? What is it that you've identified? I think some of the key ones there is, you know, being an accounting profession, of course, we, there's a lot of accounting type of, of um, data. So you think about even just with the general accounting firm, there's the different map surveys, right? Whichever one you participate in, because there's like three or four of them out there. Um, take the map survey. I think I've heard you guys talk about that too. Like, look at it. It's, it's a benchmark. You can look against your firm, but it's all mostly accounting data. It's dollars, it's headcount, right? Those types of things. What we tend to look at is the journey that a firm goes through. For example, in DE&I, are you even aware that there's this whole DEI movement? Do you know what's involved in it? Do you think it's just about um, racial differences? Because DEI, the diversity aspect has, there's actually like 10 or 12, like neurodiversity, veteran status, uh, political uh, affiliation, like lots of different aspects of diversity that you can look at. And there's a journey that organizations go through. So are they unaware? Are they aware and trying to figure out what to do? Are they, are they actually doing something? Are they refining it? Or have they simply said, this is not important to us, we're not doing it. And so that's we have this concept of a journey that we're measuring in a lot of different subject matters to understand where is the profession or where are different parts of the profession in these journeys. So in, in general, where is most of the profession in that journey? <laughs> In the DE&I side, um, we're seeing a lot of the smaller firms are pretty much either unaware or they've said, you know what, we're a small firm. This is not something that we need to do. Compared to most large firms, um, which we generally will define as over 100 people, um, have are already pretty mature in it. So they have they have a program in place. They're measuring statistics like, well, you know, what's the different ethnic makeup of our staff, male, female, those kinds of things. And they're in the process of refining. So there's right now, there's kind of a dichotomy going on uh, between the different parts of the profession. Is it genuine change that you're seeing among the large firms or is it paying lip service to the concepts and the the language of DE&I or, or are you seeing real change happening in bigger firms, right? Because your, your answer surprises me, right? I would expect in the smaller firms, typically, right? You know, it would, the smaller firms tend to, um, at least they, you know, they like to think they're being more progressive. Change can happen quicker. You only need one, two, maybe three partners to get behind, you know, an initiative to, to put it into place you know, a lot smaller staff to roll things out to bigger firms. You've got a lot of bureaucratic and historical inertia, right? And so it's a lot more difficult to get, especially these kinds of cultural shifts, right? Uh, enacted in these mm -hmm. kinds of firms. So why, why do you think we're seeing more change in bigger firms as opposed to smaller firms? So uh, I'll answer your first question first, which is, you know, are, how far along are we and are we not actually seeing change? And that's why we actually started to do this because there's all this talk about it. And if you listen to a lot of the quote DEI experts out there, they'll go, yeah, there's talk, there's talk, there's talk, but there's not actual change occurring. And you, you constantly hear that when you listen to a lot of that. So what we wanted to know was, well, is, ha is has there been actual changes being done? And 
who has made those changes. Thus, that's why I could kind of share generally, this is what we're seeing in large firms versus small firms. And then the second thing that we asked quite a bit on in that survey was, what do you need to help make this change occur? What's missing for you? And so uh, we actually identified different types of resources that you would use at different points in the journey. And we got feedback on that. And I, I say we got feedback, but part of what we're actually doing is to continually get, is to finish getting that feedback. So um, that's where the call out to all of your listeners out there, um, we'd love to have your guys' input into this and to come to participate in the survey because we do want to get more and more data and we're collecting, we're wrapping up kind of our collection to start our reporting, but we want to continue collecting data through the rest of this year so that we get a good benchmark. Like this is where we're starting off in 2023. So the second part of your question, like why are we seeing it? Um, we're, we don't have that directly, but from what we're seeing, what we're kind of suspecting is occurring is that smaller firms are kind of taking the, I, I, it's hard, especially for firms that are not in a metropolitan area, right? So if you're not in a kind of a big city, what we're kind of hearing is this, well, I'm here and I don't have a lot of diversity in my population or we're too small. It's meaningless for us to measure it because it's three or four people or even like my firm at 16. We ran our numbers and we were like, oh, we're actually predominantly one ethnic group uh, and we do have some diversity in the rest. But it's like, can I do a diversity play? Uh, yeah, it's easier for me, but do I, can I really do it? Right. Is it impactful? And that's also one of the things that we want to kind of raise as we start to report on this, because as I mentioned earlier, it's not just about ethnic. Um, you know, one example of this is, this is probably back in 2012 or maybe 10 years ago around there, I actually spoke for a conference in Oklahoma. And over there, I was talking then about CPA Horizons 2025, and it was about the, the, the beijing of America, right? The change in ethnic makeup. But I was sitting there and the vast majority, I want to say probably 90% of the audience was white. And so they were like, well, how do I, how do I get this? We just, we simply don't have the diversity in our population in this city. And so that's where I had to talk about, there's different types of diversity, right? Again, neurodiversity, religious diversity, also another good example. So it's, uh, but again, that's kind of what we're trying to surface is like, why through, through some of the research. So before we skip too far, uh, where can our listeners go to participate in that study? Oh, yeah, uh, we've got a, a links just for this show. So uh, it's link.improvetheworld.net slash own the unknown. Because what we're really doing through all of our research is helping people to figure out what's the unknown. So link.improvetheworld.net slash own the unknown slash CPA advisory. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. Let's take a step back. So, you know, we're, we, we've talked about starting and running and structuring accounting firms quite a bit on this show, but this is an entirely different enterprise. This is a research center, a research institute. How do you set up and structure and maintain that kind of entity? Are you taking an accounting firm and just changing the focus or is it entirely different structure? I'm looking at the website. I'm seeing a team and advisory boards. You know, How did you start off structuring this thing? How do you get to the current structure and what are your thoughts there? 
Yeah. So what we're doing, if I, if I, if I draw that, cause remember too, that my, I actually have a firm and we, this is part of our, this is an extension of our firm. So for us, what we were looking at was how do, what is the best way to per se market to our, to who we're trying to reach. And if you look at a lot of the marketing advice, right, especially for smaller firms, and especially if you're playing a niche, it's you need to be seen as the thought leader. You need to be seen as um, it's content-based marketing, thought leadership marketing. So this is us doing it on a very grand scale, but it's what a firm might want to look at to say, hey, I'm the leader in this niche and this is how I'm doing it. I'm doing research. I'm sharing information. Right? I think I heard Chris kind of say some of that too in the past in some of the webinars. Uh, that's that's part of that tactic is doing that. So what we've done is we've we've done that, and then we figured out kind of a second layer, which is this research angle because we're seeing this um, this need for research. And then of course, with my position as one of the top 100 influencers and top 25 thought leaders in the profession, I have enough reach that I can get to people. And I thank you guys, for example, for letting me on the show to help say, hey, come help us get information about the profession so that we can all drive in the improvements in the profession. And so, so you know, someone may not have to have that grand of a vision, but if you look at it and go, okay, here in Vegas or here in my city, we're gonna do something. You can start to uh, really leverage this, even you know, just within the CAS space, also. So, tell us a little bit more about the firm it, itself, and you know how it started, and how you got to where you are, and, and some of the services, and some of the types of customers that you're servicing. Sure. I um, historically, I actually was with uh, PwC or Coopers and Lyra, and then PwC, and I ended up starting my own firm in, at the end of 2001. I luckily had a client that wanted to actually move with me and I got permission from the managers to continue working with them um, because I wasn't doing traditional accounting services. We were doing more IT services back then. So we chose that. I wouldn't, I would call it a, a horizontal niche rather than a vertical niche because we were actually providing IT services with the link back to accounting, but in multiple industries is the way that we work. So we were, we were doing that for a while. Um, we grew very quickly. Uh, so from 2001 to about 2008 or nine was around where we hit 19 people. And that was just so difficult. Uh, we almost went out of business because we just were not ready. We didn't have the right systems in place. We didn't have the right processes and procedures in place. So we actually pulled back, went back down to about, I think it was eight or nine people. And we stayed there for quite a while, uh, probably until about 2016, 2017. And into around then we said, okay, you know what, we're, we've been this whole um, transformation movement at that time is probably talked about as digital transformation had started happening. Um, we actually gave up some of the base, more basic stuff that we did. So we did some like basic programming. We actually got rid of our entire programming team. Um, Cause we said, you know, the, the real, value is in our advisory work. So it wasn't a, you know, and at that time everyone had been talking about advisory advisory. And I realized later we're actually the example that everyone's been talking about. We're an advisory only firm. We don't do any compliance work at all. And what we're really is, is that trusted advisor to our clients to help them figure out what are all the things I have to change. 
And what do I need to do to really make my business as a whole better, not just my finance or not just my tax area? So since then, we've kind of we've continued to grow and now we've moved into this additional kind of marketing and research area also. Okay. So I'd like to ask this question. And you've mentioned CAS at least twice at this point. So how do you define CAS? The way that I look at the profession is that there's three major tracks in the profession, audit, tax, and finance. So I view CAS as outsourced finance. So, so what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> not, not doing audits and not doing tax returns and, and everything else. Yeah. Exactly. And what's, what's the acronym? I, I actually don't like mm-hmm. the CAS acronym. I'll, I'll be completely honest with that. Um, to me, the CAS acronym, <laughs> the way I usually hear it is client accounting services. To me, accounting is the whole, <laughs> which includes audit, tax, and finance. <laughs> so uh, I, I actually think it should be called outsourced accounting is, is to me the, the more proper term or outsourced bookkeeping if we're really staying within the bookkeeping space. So, so back to the firm, like how do your customers find you and what specific problems do they bring you? And then how do you structure those engagements? Is it some sort of a subscription type model? Or are we billing by the hour? How are we packaging that? What's that look like? So we are, um, the way that people find us is usually me speaking. So we definitely leverage the thought leader approach to um, getting cl- clients. Uh, I speak at both state society events, a lot of state society events, um, AICPA events, um, other ones like I'm speaking for the IAA coming up as well. Uh, lots of different events, you know, and this this could be done, you know, more also geographically if I was changing like Chamber of Commerce and stuff. But because we're our, we're such a niche, we choose to target other accountants because we know that they'll understand the value that we're bringing. So usually it's uh, we're either speaking to a controller CFO who comes in and says, can you help us? Or we're talking to other firms that say, hey, can you actually, I have a client that might need your help. The nice thing about working with us for other firms is that we're non-competitive because we don't do any of the compliance work. So we find that we end up partnering with other firms because they don't do that work. And we're, um, we then understand, okay, what's your relationship with the client? Help us understand that. What work do you do and not do? And we're able to ensure that we steer the client back towards them for the appropriate things or, or collaborate with them um, for some things. Uh, so that, that's kind of how we get our clients. Sorry, what was the other part of your question? Basically, how do you package and structure and bill for you know the services that you provide? So we have a mix of things. Um, our 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 intro level is actually an assessment. So we force all clients to go through an initial assessment process. It's actually, it's either an assessment or a visioning. So the typical thing that we're normally asking is tell us where you want to be three to five years from now. And we then come in and look at what are the current systems that are in place? What are the current processes? What are the current capabilities? that are in place and and what do they need to do to be able to get to that vision that they want to be at through that. We normally will identify 15 to 30 different projects that they should enact over those years. And then we help create the roadmap. We call it a transformation roadmap, which is basically a list of projects that say, you need to do this. You need to do that to get to that vision. So that's normally where we'll start. From there, we'll normally either roll them into an ongoing, what we call transformation management office. 
So it's uh, for the for people that are familiar with bigger companies, it's often called a project management office. But we're really focusing on the things that are going to lead towards that transformation. So we shepherd them through kind of mid-year checkpoint, end of year checkpoint. Okay, what do you want to do next year? What projects do you have going on? And then we also help them to do vendor. Uh, so that service is actually done uh, hourly. We're, we're actually switching that into a subscription, working through um, figuring out those mechanics right now. And then the after that, normally we're doing vendor selection. So a lot of it will be like, okay, here's the three vendors that you might use for like for a workflow solution or something. And the client can either choose to have us lead them through that selection, which is a fixed price engagement, or they can do it on their own and come back to us and say, hey, we just want to debrief with you and get your thoughts. Normally that will just do as hourly or an advisory. So one of the things in there that you said that was interesting was a portion of those services you are migrating to subscription and you're thinking through that. So I think probably a lot of our listeners are thinking through that right now and, and what that looks like and how to do it and how to do it well. So kind of take us down that path. Like, how are you thinking about it? You know, what are the discussions that you're having internally? What are the discussions that you're having with your customers? How's that going generally? So most of it is, most of it has been fairly good in the sense that, so what we did was we looked internally uh, you know, and I, I remember you guys had Ron Baker on, I think, earlier. And so we we tended to fo- we tend to follow kind of their guidance on it. I haven't read his new book yet, um, but I, I but I will say I got to say I was really proud of this because when we did our first subscription agreement, I actually sent it to Ron and Ed and I said, hey, can you guys just take a look at this <laughs> and tell me if I'm on the right track? And, you know, they were super great. They actually went through it and redlined it. And they were like, this is what you got to change. And these are all the things. And I was like, oh, you guys are awesome. Thank you. Um, but there wasn't a lot. There wasn't anything substantial. So I was super proud. I said, oh, my gosh, my my, my plan for subscription plan passed kind of the Ron and Ed test. Um, but it, it actually took a lot of work on our side. So what we did was we looked at what are the different services and or products, because we actually have it for cybersecurity. So we looked at what are the different services that would need to be done? What are the products that would complement that, right? And the analogy to the to the CAS side would be, you need your GL, QuickBooks Zero, whatever, and then the services, right? So we kind of took the same kind of thought of what would it take to actually deliver this and figured out, okay, this is about how many hours we think it takes. So we use that as a base. And then we looked at how do we, what's the value add? And so we looked at those types of value adds. For example, we ended up throwing a newsletter onto this so that we're going through purposely curating articles related to cybersecurity that are relevant to accounting firms and putting that together to say, hey, we're not only going to provide these services, we're going to provide you with additional information that helps you meet the awareness criteria as part of the cybersecurity, right? Because we want to keep awareness high. So we've got a mix of product information and services that is essentially our premium offering. Because we're doing like, like they all talk about the three tiers. When you say product, what do you mean? Because I think for a lot of firms that have been thinking in terms of providing services, right? All they've ever thought of is we do tax returns, right? We do bookkeeping, we do payroll. The notion of saying product is right. Like, like I go to the grocery store to buy products. I go to an accounting firm to buy services. Right. So what do you mean by products? So we think of 
the product of accounting services of, as actually one of three things. And those three things are the first is peace of mind. The second is vision and clarity. And the third is hope. So the peace of mind, or maybe product is, is not the right word. Maybe it's outcome. The peace of mind outcome is that whoever the client is can sleep better at night. They're not worried about something. So in our cybersecurity one, it's I'm not worried about having that cybersecurity breach, right? How do we get to that point? And what we're doing is, again, kind of pulling together information services and actual product, the software or whatever they might use to deliver that outcome. So that's, that's the way we kind of think about it. What I described earlier in like, tell me where you want to be three to five years from now, that's vision and clarity. So the, the deliverables from that is the vision document. And then the, the list of projects, that's the transformation roadmap that provides the clarity. So we always come back and look at like, this is what we're trying to provide. The hope is the one that's a little harder to quantify. But if you think about it, both of those other two produce the hope, right? Uh, I have a, I had a client that came to me where she was like, she was a CEO of a nonprofit and she literally was crying when she started telling me about her problems, because she said, we don't know if we can still get the funding. We actually don't even know what it costs for us to deliver the services. So in the end, I was like, well, what you need is actually a cost model and a budgeting and planning system so that you can figure out what it's going to actually cost you. And if you have to bid on new grants or whatever, then you can figure out what it actually costs you. So, you know, you know, it doesn't even have to be the actual system. It could even just be the vision for the system which at the end of the meeting, she was like, oh my gosh, this, this was amazing. She's drying her eyes. She's like, can I hug you? I'm like, of course, <laughs> like, you know, cause she felt, and that was the hope, right? That was the hope that we produced. And whether it's a situation like that or another client that we're working with now, um, it's a big, they're a big government contractor. And theirs is like, how do we get more discipline around what we're doing so that we have more visibility into what the future is going to look like? And for them being a government contractor, they also needed vision, visibility into their cost structure. So that one also happens where we were like, okay, well, in the end, you actually need a, an, a CPM or a budgeting and planning system, but their base data was not good. So we actually ended up going through uh, ERP selection, we ended up overseeing that. We don't actually implement ourselves, the vendors implement, but we sit there and we help provide that peace of mind, the vendors implementing correctly, it's aligned with your vision. So there's a lot of different things that you kind of fold in, but those are the ways that I think of the product and everything else is I'm layering things in to help deliver that outcome. Hey, it's Chris. Thanks for tuning into the show and we really hope you're enjoying it. If you like the show, please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you really like the show, please leave us a review and we'll read it on the air. If you have a service or an app that is tailored to accountants and you want to get in front of several hundred accounts that listen to this show every single week, send us an email at host at cpaadvisoryshow.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. I, I think that's great. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm a firm believer in whether you think you're selling services or products, you're selling an outcome, you're selling a result, right? It's the it's the um, Theodore Levitt quote, the Harvard Business Professor, right? People don't want to buy the drill; they want the hole in the wall, 
right? Like, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and so, you know, you think about somebody going to Home Depot, they're not looking for a drill bit. They're looking for a way to get that picture hung on the wall, right? And they're trying to figure out a way to get there. And I think when you're dealing with something that's even less tangible and, and, than that you know like accounting right um you know and and mm-hmm. especially with the great resignation and people becoming self-employed over the last few years and it and just you know factor the 21st century it's so it's relatively so much easier to just spin up a new business right we have a lot of and you know you can you throw in the effects of social media and a lot of the bad business and tax advice that you're getting out there right we just have an entire slew of people out there probably too much compared to the capacity that we actually have in the in the field right to service all of these people when it comes to helping them figure out and get the books right get the tax returns right get the financial insights that they need and so that outcome of having the clarity, like you said, having the vision, right? A lot of people start up businesses and they really don't even know why, right? It just seemed like the right thing yeah. to do at the time. So yeah, I think, yeah. I think that's a great way to think about it. But if you think, think too, you know, to, cause a lot of people may be like, well, you can do that on your side, but then what are we doing on the accounting side? And the, the tax strategy or the tax plan is doing the same thing, right? You've got a vision. I want to, in the end, own my own house, get my kids through school, retire comfortably, whatever that vision is, and that roadmap contribute to a Roth, do whatever, do whatever, right? Like those are all the things that you start to do along the way. And if you happen to that, if that individual or family happens to be connected to a business, then you're doing it on the business side too. And then wrapping in the family and all the family planning and the wealth management and everything. This is a big problem with a lot of the the tax advice, whether it's coming from professionals or coming from amateurs on social media is a lot of it focuses on tax savings for last year, right? Like let's get last year's tax bill as low as possible. Some of those moves might not be in your long-term interest, right? If you're in 20, if you're in your twenties, yeah, getting, you know, saving a few bucks in tax because you put into an IRA might sound good, but maybe putting that money into a Roth would have been a better long-term tax plan for you. Right. And so it's those kinds of things where not just let's focus on the short-term goal of tax savings, but let's have a longer term vision. Right. And let's start selling that vision rather than just selling the tax return. You know, I, I really like that way of thinking. So the three pieces, one more time, vision, clarity, and hope. <laughs> Peace of mind is one. The second is vision and clarity. Help us unpack the, the vision and clarity piece, because of that, of those three, it really seems like that's the one that's most customer driven. So how are you, what strategies and tactics are you using to really get at the heart of what that vision should be? So for us, it's the, it's, we, we do that assessment and the assessment is a couple of things. It's let us understand where you are now. And then the second is where do you want to be? And what does that actually look like? So for us from a technology standpoint or a tech, actually, I shouldn't say technology because a lot of people think technology, innovation as a whole is a mix of technology, processes, and business practice changes, right? So when I look at a firm, I'm looking at the firm's tech stack. From a process standpoint, I'm looking at how do you manage your workflow, but also what services do you offer? And then the third one, the business practices, it, uh, Jeremy actually mentioned recruiting staffing issues. So how do you actually manage staff? There's, you need to manage remote staff differently than you do in-person staff, but also things like move towards value building or move towards subscription model. Those are all business practices changes. So we look at the lens of all three 
in doing our initial assessment. And then we end in the end say, well, you want to move towards this, whatever that vision is. So you're going to have adopted value building. You're going to have adopted subscription. So what do you need to be able to do that? We'll work backwards to say, well, you know, you, maybe you need a good engagement letter system, um, you know, practice ignition or whatever it is you're choosing to use. Pan, I use, we use Panda doc for hours so that you can very nicely present the three options, let them choose, let them sign, you know, whatever the case is. So we tend to work backwards into technology at the end. I don't know if that answered your question or not, but yeah, kind of sort of like what I'm, I think what I'm really ultimately trying to get at is how do you deal with the customer when you ask them, where do you want to be? And they effectively say, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Like, how do you help them unpack that? That's why we have our, so we have our models, which is, we consider part of our intellectual property around these are, this is all the things that a typical accounting firm can do, for example, or a typical nonprofit or a typical hospitality, like a restaurant can do. So we have that as our blueprint. And from there, we'll say, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Are you doing this? Did you do that? How are you doing this? Oh, you're doing this in that way. Have you thought about these other ways of also doing that? Or have you thought about these other apps that will do the same thing, but will also let you do this and that? So part of that is that exploration, right? And it's kind of the same thing since we talked about kind of retirement stuff, right? It's like, how do I get through all these options? I could do Roth, I can do 401k, can I, can I do regular IRA? Like, how do I mix and match that? And that's what we're doing is we know the right options. So part of this facilitated discussion is, what are you doing in this area? Here are the options that probably make sense for you. Oh, instead of these 10, I can narrow it down based upon what you've said. These are the ones that probably make the most sense. Right. And then helping them either get through that decision or figuring out who's the right person to help enact that. Uh, that's that's all part of that handholding and, and working with the client through the transformation. I love that. I love the fact that you've got frameworks for that. Um, I, I, it seems to me like on the tax side, the answer to this question is probably no. But and I know that you're very, very tech savvy and you've got a ton of experience and knowledge in that world. Is this something where firm owners need to be or have on staff just really tech savvy folks like are we teaching accountants to be super tech savvy do you have to be tech savvy to implement these sorts of things help, help us help us with that <laughs> so uh, the, i think the answer is no um i think you need to be fairly tech open maybe is a better way to think about it because you need to not be afraid of the technology. That's the biggest barrier that we see is people are afraid. But I, you know, the whole concept of peace of mind and hope, that's also why we're here because what we do is we help give them the confidence to move forward. Yes, this is within your capabilities or no, it's not because there's this one part, but we'll help with that one part, help you think through that one part. So there's, I think some of, those pieces in understanding the tech. And what we do is we try to make it as non-techy as possible. <laughs> so that's, and you know, that's the beauty of it. And, and in accounting, you need to do the same thing, right? You need to make it less accounting and more understandable by the business owner or the family. And so you go through that translation and that's, that's the skill of the communication skill of the, of the accountant. Since we have you here and you do have heavy tech expertise, what do you think about the whole AI thing? <laughs> I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. I actually just did a whole podcast on that um, over with, with Jackie Meyer and a, and a bunch of others. Um, 
Oh yeah, the um, yeah, like the panel that she did. I did one. Oh, yeah, that's right. You were on the Monday one. Yesterday. I was on the Friday one. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yep. And um, I watched. You know, I watched you, Donnie, in the Friday one. Chris, I didn't know you were on the Monday one. Yeah, I weaseled my way into that one. But you know, I'll tell you my answer, which is the same for all technologies. And when we look at this, because you can trace the same type of pattern back to when spreadsheets first came out. We're not going to need accountants anymore. And then we had GL systems come in. Oh, we're not going to need accountants anymore. And then their tax systems, like like um, TurboTax, like we don't need accountants anymore. That has never found out true. The, the key that I've told everyone, always told people is, you, what you need to do is you need to understand what the technology can and also what it can't do. And then you focus on what it can't do. And then the other thing you do is you look at what are the patterns in the technology. So for example, when we had this big move to cloud, cloud is actually analogous to mainframe. And people go, well, mainframe was way back. That's super old technology, but it was centralized computing part power with multiple people accessing it from all over the place through a thin client. Well, that's the browser and the server, the web server and everything else going on the back end of the app. So whether it's cloud, whether it's mobile, it's sort of, it's not exactly analogous, but it's sort of analogous. And so when we start to try and understand things, that's what we need to focus on. And like all of our discussions with the AI, AI is going to do a bunch, just as accounting systems do a bunch. But there's also a lot that it's not going to do. And particularly as we talk in the advisory space, it's not going to do that advisory, really help the clients think through that advisory. It may be able to give them options, but it's not going to really help them figure out what's the best option for you, what aligns with your lifestyle, what aligns with um, your kind of future plans with all these other unknowns where there isn't a data point for for AI to analyze on what's happening. So what percentage of your customers are coming to you and saying, hey, help us think through this AI strategy that we know is coming, but maybe not here yet? Or, you know, are they saying to you like, hey, AI is here and we need to implement it now? Like what what's the range of thought on where AI is and how it needs to be implemented or if it even should be implemented? <laughs> I, honestly, almost none. Um I think it's really early on. I hear there, I'm getting asked a lot of questions. Should we be thinking about it? My answer is yes, you should be thinking about it. Um, the only one that has actually truly come out of the blue to me was actually the Canadian Public Board of Public Accountancy. It's the, it's the Canadian PCOB that came to me and said, come teach us about AI and audit and the implications to audit so that we can start to figure out how they're going to change the way that they actually review what the auditors are doing. Um, Everyone else has been more of a casual, like, well, what do you think? And should we be looking, you know, and most of my response now from what the majority of people are doing is you should explore it, you should play with it. Keep in mind that you don't want to put any private information or client-specific information out there unless you've really done a really, really good job of de-identifying it. And then just double-check everything because that's really kind of the key right now. It's not at the maturity level where you can just take it and run. Um, simple stuff does really well. Get into intermediate, advanced, or things where you have to think about you know the bigger picture of what's happening. It's definitely not doing that. Okay, so this goes back to something that we were talking about 
I don't know, 20, 25 minutes ago is the difference between big firms and small firms, right? Again, small firms should have an easier time pivoting, adapting, but bigger firms have the resources, right, to take on new technology. They have, you know, the ability to create a new division or, uh, you know, an extra staff pool that can, you know, look into this new stuff, right? So, have you seen, or if not, do you think we're going to see a significant difference between big firms versus small firms and how they adapt or adopt, uh, you know, whichever the case might be, you know, machine learning, AI, new ways of using you know, technology, right, uh, to do, let's just start off with the basic accounting functions, right? You know, I mean, I, I've already gotten into discussions with bookkeepers over whether they trust QuickBooks auto add rules in the bank feeds. Right. And that's not really even, you know, to the degree of what we're talking about. So yeah. So (laughs) I have bookkeepers who say that auto add just screws everything up. Right. And I'm like, well, you're not defining your rules very well then. And if I didn't use auto add rules, there's no way I'd be able to do all the bookkeeping in my firm that needs to get done. Right. So I'm, I'm coming from a place of if I had that mindset, right. If I already had the mindset of, I don't trust a computer when I define explicitly the terms of what the computer is supposed to do. There's no way I'm going to trust the computer to come up with its own ways of doing things. Right. And so if I don't, if I, if I'm a smaller firm and I feel under the pressure because, you know, I have, I have revenue to make, I have payroll to meet, you know, I've, I've got angry clients because I had to put their returns on extension because I took on more returns than I could handle because I needed the extra revenue to pay the overhead. You know, I'm just trying to think like from the perspective of a swamped, worn out, exhausted firm owner, you're telling me now I got to start signing up for chat GPT and figuring out how to use that in my firm too. Like, you know, when, like what, what, what is the, what is the adoption going to look like for smaller firms? How can smaller firms start, you know, adapting and adopting some of this to their benefit rather than just seeing it as something else that they've got to deal with now? So smaller, most smaller firms are going to end up waiting for one of the vendors to incorporate it in and make it usable. You know, and you gave the example of of QBO, um, QBO Zero. Both have AI operating on the back end. It's what does the suggestions for the coding when you're doing the bank recs, right? So you, you've got things like that. You've got other things like Botkeeper, Vic AI, that are all like we use AI to help you know accelerate kind of what's going on. Um, so smaller firms generally, what we're going to see is they're going to wait for a vendor to come and do stuff. Now, if they have someone that's a little more tech savvy, you know, like I know Chris has actually adapted the use of Zendesk, which is which we don't see Zendesk very much, if at all. I see a few here and there, the use of Zendesk for client service and workflow management. But that's because he's figured out a way to have it interact with, I forget what you're using on the other side, was it Harvest or something to actually send the tasks in? So it became this hybrid mix of, project management and service management technologies with which is then creating effectively the ability to do workflow and client ma- service management. So if they've got someone, then we would say, yeah, you should do it. And especially if you've, if you've got a niche where you can go deeper, because that's really where you're going to see the values. If you can go deeper and provide something that's different than everything else, now that's where you're, you're going to see a lot more, hey, I can start to figure out something specific and be ahead of the rest of the pack who's only going to get it once the vendor comes out with the solution. 
but that's going to require some sort of monetization, right? And and some sort of incentive for you know the vendor to either you know include this in a product and either either attach it on as an upsell or increase the subscription over time to offset all of that, right? And and so yeah, I th- I think you know we've already got complaints over tax software and Intuit and you know these different vendors raising their prices, changing their pricing models, right? We're phasing out you know older products in favor of newer products that aren't one-time prices. Now they're subscription prices and this kind of thing. Right. And so, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think it's going to take, uh, including that right in the products that you already know, like, and trust, uh, to some degree, but I think at the same time, we're just going to have to accept that the cost is going to get right. Uh, you know, passed along to us, right. Um, in the form of, yeah, it can do, you know, you, the software you've been using for the last five, 10 years can do new things now that make your life easier, but you're going to have to pay for that. Right. Um, so, yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, again, back to the original point, if I'm already a small firm owner and I feel like the software is too expensive, I feel like the costs are too much, you know, and, and now these new tools that I don't understand. Um, but, but I agree with you. I, I, I think it's going to overall make us better if we if we adopt it, if we adapt to it, if we have somebody on our staff who's in their twenties and thirties and is willing to figure it out for us as opposed to um, you know, just having to feeling like we have to figure it out ourselves as the leaders. There's two things that I think we gotta unpack in there in what you said. So the first is if you're if in your head you're like this costs too much, this costs too much, this costs too much, then that's a problem because that tells me that you're on a cost efficiency track. And you're more probably more compliance focused because if you're doing the advisory work, like our margins on advisory work are about 50%. So if you're really doing the advisory work, the cost should be, I'm going to automate my compliance. It's, it's not that I don't care how much it's going to cost me. I do want to minimize that cost, but that should be nowhere near, or that should be offset by all the advisory and the margin that you're getting on the advisory piece there. So if you actually are embracing advisory and doing kind of your three tiers of value pricing and all that stuff, that cost should not be one of the big blockers that you're viewing and worrying about. The second one that I think we need to unpack is this, give it to a 20s or 30s, especially when you get to AI, that is not who you want actually validating this stuff. They do not have enough experience to know when it's wrong. They'll look at it and they'll go, oh yeah, that's what it said. Cause that's what the textbook said <laughs> or this article on the, on Wikipedia said, and they're like, okay, yeah, that works. And it's like, no, that doesn't actually work. Or you can't implement it that way. That's the stuff that those of us that have the experience know. So you do need someone that's probably more in the middle or more senior kind of at least validating, even if the, the younger person's kind of figuring it out, you need someone more senior validating what's actually coming out of that and making sure it's usable and implementable. So what about the other aspects of the operation, right? So how can accountants use these tools in ways that aren't just doing the accounting work, right? Because I know marketing is a huge one, for example, right? So, so you know, what are some examples of the way, you know, now that we're outside of tax season, I'm starting to move my firm back more into, you know, sort of business development and new client attraction sort of phases of the business cycle. So where can I use these tools in those areas? Marketing is a great example of like what you said. You know, it's, it, and part of this is going to come back to the right prompting. So knowing what to ask for, knowing who your target 
customer is, right? And I, I, I think I remember you guys talking about the ideal client profile. So how do you know what that, do you know what that is? Because you need to include that in your prompt as part of, hey, give me a marketing plan to market to and then give it that ICP so that then you can start to actually get something that's usable, that uses the right jargon, that's speaking the right type of language inflection. Uh, you know, that really starts to build in and, and that's where you're going to see that value. And now you don't have to hire a marketing person to do it. You can kind of come up with it. And generally in smaller firms, the, the marketing approach is going to be fairly more simplistic. So what you do get from chat GPT or BARD or GPT for, you know, choose your poison um, should be pretty usable. What about when we get to the point that people that we're marketing to start to realize and understand this is just another firm using another AI tool and it's not really them. Then what? Part of me says, does it even matter? Because in the end, it's about all that is, is getting them to you. And so it's going to come back to what I said earlier, which is how are you then differentiating yourself? How are you establishing yourself as that expert or that advisor, right? That they want to work with. Why should they work with you? You need to have that because all that marketing and whatever it is, yeah, it's generic. It's going to get them to you, but then it's up to you to then be able to close that and, and demonstrate your value. So it, but to some extent, isn't it going to be up to the AI to differentiate you? It, but if that if the first touch with a potential customer is is AI driven and it's automated and it's fairly impersonal, it looks just like every other marketing piece that that potential customer is getting. We we see this a lot with newsletters and uh, social posts and things like that that are just kind of canned and then sold to firms and then firms just repackage it, slap their logo on it, and post it out into yeah. the world. Isn't it kind of the same kind of deal? It is, and that's why. I, when I said earlier, it's important that prompt of knowing who that ideal customer is, and then we can add to that the value that you're bringing to that and customer. It, you need to make that really clear, and it needs to be included in the prompt for the AI, or you need to take what the AI is generating, and then you need to add in that additional layer. So that's a lot of what, what I do, because what I do is fairly technical, and the, the words that we use in transformation are very nuanced. So I will generate something and then I'll go and I'll put it both into my voice as well as to call out specific things. Like if I'm working with a nonprofit, I'm not going to talk about profit. I'm going to talk about outcomes and impacts on constituents and serving the community. So I'll go and tailor it so that it's speaking more to them and it's not that generic. But that again comes from experience and really kind of understanding yourself and your firm and what and where your value is. So part of the skill in leveraging AI is going to be developing the skill to prompt the AI. Exactly. Yep. Kind of have to distill Everyone's that down. talking about it as a prompt engineer yeah, and they're like, crazy this talent. is going to be the new job. And I'm like, no, that's a new skill that's going to be in every job. Yeah. Like, would you really go get a four-year degree to be a prompt engineer? Like, and spend a couple hundred grand exactly. to do it? I don't, I don't know. You could, feels like you can learn that and just figure it out. Exactly. But which is to your point, yep. I suppose. Well, I mean, your sophomore year of college, you're just taught how to ask a research question to write an essay, right? I mean, it feels like a very similar sort of process, right? You know, you, you need to come up with 
it, you know, back in the back in the '90s, it was you needed to come up with the right string of terms and the right Boolean operators to go do a search in the library database, right, to actually find the sources you needed for you know finding the right books and articles to write your 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 essay for your college class, right? Now, um, you know, it's going to be you just need to figure out the white the right way to phrase that so that chat GPT pulls on the right information to give you the response that you're looking for. So it's, it, it's, it's a very similar sort of skill set, but just in slightly different, you know, uh, inputs and therefore outcomes you know, is what it kind of feels like. And, you know, we can give an example. So for example, I could say, write me a marketing plan to attract construction companies to my accounting firm, right? simple question but if i really want to hit a target market i would instead say write me a marketing plan that's going to be appealing to family-owned construction company family-owned residential construction companies that are more tech forward who want more advice on how they increase their bottom line or more advice on how they reduce the environmental impact or whatever it is you're going to be using as your niche, right? You got to build all that into that prompt. <laughs> yeah, that's the, the key word niche, right? Like this is niching. This is what, this is what the field has been talking about for decades now, right? Like have, have yeah. a niche and be as specific as you can. And when you think it's specific enough, you probably need to be even more specific than that even right like keep drilling down until you find that you know that 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 one to two maybe three hundred sort of ideal clients right and then just go after them mm -hmm. with all of the the content the marketing you know that, that sort of inbound effort that you can to get them i mean is that yeah. do, do we do we then run the risk of now we have this flood of content that's all AI generated. And so it's generated based on the material that was being searched. And so now we're searching the search results and it's, and, you know, back to, you know, that, that question maybe, you know, 10 minutes ago of, are we just writing for the algorithms now and not actually writing for other, you know, actual real people? Like, is, is this a legitimate risk that, you know, we hear out there or is this just, a reason that you know copywriters are still trying to keep their day jobs hey no you're definitely going to see that and you're going to see what you're doing go back into that same learning set right because then as people start to use search which is then like bing that's integrated back into it it's going to spit it back out so that's going to be a nuance that you need to work with but again the, the key is going to be that that differentiator because the customer is also going to be getting this um, guidance on, well, you really need to search and you need to do a better prompt when you're doing your search. So you need to kind of build all that in. And actually, I'm going to refer to one of your other episodes too. It was the one talking about being a COO, you know, and whether that's really that direction because he, the advice that he gave was, get out into the customer's business and actually see your client's business and actually see the business because that's where you're going to really get that deeper understanding and you're going to really know then what are the actual business problems not just the accounting problems but what are the actual business problems operational problems that they're dealing with and that's the stuff that you need to you know take your generic thing again from the ai and weave all of this deeper knowledge in there yeah well you guys were 
kind of going back and forth on that. I opened up ChatGPT and asked the question, said maybe a marketing plan base, <laughs> basically. And like, it'll do it for sure. Um, you know, and even it's, but I don't know. I, I thought that I was fairly specific in what I asked at the right, but what I got back was fairly generic. So yeah, like weaving in, like Donnie, to your point, your expertise into what you get, which is basically a first draft from something like chat GPT and really getting in and understanding your clients and the niche and what they do and how they do it and why they do it. Common problems, which gets back to your point of, I don't know, 20 minutes ago about frameworks and things like that. When you can really understand that, when you can develop that IP, now you really got something and that is what you can base your advisory services off yeah. of. And let, let's say one of the things that said was, you know, write a blog about whatever cost project, ma- project cost management. So then you can, the prompt, the next prompt you can give it is write me a blog about project cost management, address specifically concerns related to whatever your point one, point two, point three, which are the unique things that you know about it and it'll write something for you. So, you know, you can keep building off of and go deeper and deeper as you're trying to work through that. And, and that's what I think we're going to see across, you know, uh, I was talking with a professor that was testing out chat GPT to do his accounting exam. So he said it's in the accounting exam, chat GPT will get about just over 50% right. And, you know, that's decent, um, but it will, the parts where it'll get wrong is where you now need to start to interpret things or apply it in a different situation. So it, it can get you there. You just need to work with it a little bit more. Very cool. So Donnie, this has been a great conversation and we're bumping up on time. Uh, where can folks find you? And I know you're big on the conference circuit and you're big into speaking. So where are you going to be speaking this summer and what conferences are you going to be going to and where can we find you? Uh, easiest way to find me is on LinkedIn under Donnie Shimamoto. So I would, I would recommend that. I also post a ton of stuff on there as people are kind of looking, uh, including references to podcasts like yours, like, hey, go listen to this. This is kind of the value you're going to see there. Which we appreciate, by the way. You guys have been doing good stuff. Uh, conferences, I'll, I'll definitely be at Engage. Uh, I've got events like every other week, all the way probably through the end of November, I think, at this point. Um, so, uh, but I post all that on, on the, on the, uh, LinkedIn as well. Here, I'm, I'm going to be here. Hope to see you there kind of stuff. Awesome. Love that. So Jeremy, what do you think? Wrap us up, take us out. Donnie, appreciate you being here. Um, yeah, a, a ton of great information here. I think the research, uh, center, the research Institute is, you know, I think accountants forget that we're knowledge workers, right. And that we have a lot of intellectual property, a lot of understanding, a lot of expertise within our domain. And, you know, it, and, and we have a ton, ton of information and data about our customers and our clients. And it's all just sitting there in our computers, right? In our tax software, in our bookkeeping software. Um, so definitely, definitely love that. Definitely going to look into uh, that and, and how you put that together a lot more. And again, really appreciate you being on the show. And thanks for being here, Donnie. Thank you guys. Hey, it's Jeremy. Thanks for listening to the CPA Advisory Show. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. Leave a rating and write us a review. We'll probably read your review on the air too. To catch all the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at CPA Advisory Show. If you have a topic or guest you'd like to hear on the show, let us know by emailing host at cpaadvisoryshow.com. Thanks again. 